0: The sense maker. Every second of my of my day, I can't like stop thinking about Mariupol. Uh, just in general, because the scale of horror and suffering happening in the, in the city is just unimaginable. It's inconceivable, absolutely inconceivable. And I can't stop thinking about it. And the fact that my cousin is in the center of it.
1: I mean, it's crazy. I don't. Like, <sighs> I'm Tominey and this is The Sensemaker from Tortoise. One story every day to make sense of the world. For the past two months, we have been talking to a 28-year-old Ukrainian woman called Helena. That's not her real name. She's in relative safety in Kyiv, but her cousin has been fighting in Mariupol, a coastal city that Russia has tried to bomb into submission a place where parks and playgrounds are now makeshift cemeteries. There's talk in the West of war crime prosecutions. But for Helena, even that doesn't always feel enough. There is two sides, uh, two wolves
0: inside of me. So one wolf is kind of like, doesn't really care about all of this, you know, uh, European bureaucracy and really think that the best uh, retribution would be delivered on the field of battle. And, uh, but, you know, but also uh, there is another part of me who is like, which is like rational and uh, <laughs> a much better person.
1: Last week, Russia claimed victory in Mariupol, a liberation without mercy. But the city isn't entirely under Russian control. Deep in the catacombs of the Azovstal steel plants, a maze of tunnels and underground bunkers, are women and children kids who say they want to go home and see the sun. And alongside them are as many as 2,000 Ukrainian soldiers, the last defenders of Mariupol. Today, the story of one of those fighters, Helena's cousin, a man called Max.
0: He used to be, like, a guy who doesn't really want to, like, doesn't really know what he wants to be. So uh, he went through a couple of, like, uh, universities. He went to one university, he got kicked out. He went to another university, he got kicked out. Uh,
1: so then he went to join the army. Max is 26 years old. Helena spent a lot of time with him when they were growing up. Less now they're adults. But she can still give a pretty good account of his character.
0: He's a very good guy. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's like, he's funny, you know, but he's, he's not been like, he's, he's had some trouble finding out what he wants in life.
1: Max's mother, Helena's aunt, was pretty happy when he joined the army. She was a little worried, though. She saw the fighting that was happening against separatist groups in eastern Ukraine even before Russia's full-scale invasion and didn't want Max to be dragged into the conflict.
0: You know, the bitter irony is that he, in the end, he just ended up in, like, the hottest place uh, in the whole war, like, in the epicentre of it all.
1: At the start of the invasion, Max called his parents every day. He told them he was doing okay and that his unit was doing well. He was in the National Guard. In peacetime, it's responsible for civilian enforcement. But it was mobilised for war when the Russians rolled in. Max's communication became more sporadic after Mariupol lost power. I think the connection went
0: off pretty quickly for them. Uh, But still, uh, he managed to send us a message uh, on the International Women's Day uh, on the 8th of March.
1: So that was nice of him. Helena's family got a bit of news from him on the 20th of March. But weeks of silence followed. Max's mum even went to a fortune teller.
0: At least that woman told my aunt that you know uh, that her son was okay and he was doing fine, you know. At least uh, that woman didn't tell her anything like awful to make her uh, you know even
1: even more upset. And then last week they heard from him again.
0: He was in a national guard unit, but uh, being not really, you know, fit uh, for that kind of war and that kind of intensity of fighting, uh, their unit uh, took heavy losses. Uh, they lost their commander, and uh, a few weeks ago, Max was forced to join, kind of like the rest of
1: of the forces under the steel plant. He's now holed up in the Azov-style steel plant, surrounded by Russian forces.
0: From what I understand, uh, they have some supply of, you know, water and food and, uh, you know, kind of like basic supplies. The problem is more, you know, more of, a, you know, they need ammo, they need military
1: support. It's a terrifying situation to be in. Vladimir Putin has ordered the plant to be blocked off so that quote, not even a fly comes through. And even though the Russian president has officially called off the mission to storm the plant, his army still seems to have designs on it.
0: The problem is that they're like trying to bomb the remaining, you know, what remains of of the plant uh, with air bombs. And uh, it's quite a sturdy building from what I understand. It it can take uh, quite a bit of punishment, but if you're dropping bombs... Uh, on one spot, even like it's, it's a pretty big spot, sooner or later something's gotta give.
1: But despite the danger, Max, even if he could, isn't going anywhere. That's what he told his mother.
0: During one of his last calls, uh, she asked him, Would he be willing to, you know, to leave the city if, if there was such an opportunity for him? But he basically said that he's there to the end.
1: It's difficult to see what the end looks like for Mariupol. Tens of thousands of Ukrainians are feared dead there. Plenty more are barely alive, short of food, water and hope. And the city's last defenders are trapped underground, many wounded. Max's family, like so many others, are left helpless. To
0: see him, uh, you know, kind of like almost Kind of complete, completely, uh, you know, you know, completely accidentally become the nation's hero is very strange. But, and so we are all very proud. But also, I would rather not have had him in this situation. And I like, like, I just, I. I, don't see, I can't believe that he's in there, and I, I just don't want him to die, you know?
1: He's, he's even younger than me. Thanks for listening to The Sensemaker. In this week's slow newscast, Tortoise's weekly investigative podcast, we've taken a closer look at Mariupol investigating the city not as a war zone, but as a crime scene. Who are the victims and what are the chances of anyone being held to account? To listen to the podcast, just click on the link in the episode description. Today's story was written by Xavier Greenwood and mixed by Imi Harper.
0: The Sensemaker.
1: What comes to mind when you think of Amber Heard? A liar? A survivor? A narcissist? The trial of Depp v Heard was a global phenomenon, but I want to know, was it a fair fight? I'm Alexi Mostras, the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts.